You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Church, it is, a, it is a, a privilege to be part of a denomination that wants to see the glory and story of Jesus brought across the world to people who have never heard it. Uh, and so the Jaffrey Project funds uh, projects like our Gateway Initiative that have happened through the Alliance. Uh, and uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll see a few more areas and invitations in. But let me direct your attention to to the Jaffrey Project, uh, as we want to be people on God's mission. Uh, My name is Keith. If you're new here, uh, I'm a pastor at the church. Hey, welcome. Bless you. Thanks for being here. Uh, And and maybe you came with a friend, and so let me encourage you to this. If you have questions about things you've seen or things you hear, uh, me say, why don't you ask the friend that you came with? Uh, Or maybe uh, you didn't come with a friend and you just wandered in. You thought uh, this was uh, a movie theater. Uh, and, uh, and so bless you, uh, you know, you can sneak out now or stick around. We, we, we're thankful you're here. Uh, and if you have questions, you can ask me afterwards in the Connections Cafe through, through those doors. Uh, I'll be there after the service or anyone else. Uh, we're, we're, we're thankful you're here. Hey, this morning, uh, we are leaning into a new sermon series in the book of Jonah. And I've chosen the book of Jonah because I think it has something rich to teach us about what it means to be God's people on mission in the world. And now let me begin with this. Jonah was the worst prophet in all of the Old Testament. <laughs> That's my opinion. What a, what a legacy to leave. He was the worst missionary that we read about in all of the Bible, and here's why. Jonah's story is, 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 is written in two parts in the book of Jonah. In chapters 1 and 2, we get part 1. And in the first part, we see that Jonah is disobedient to God. God tells him to go to the city of Nineveh to preach to the people there. But what does Jonah do? He runs away. Many of you know the story. Jonah is disobedient. In part 1, Jonah's disobedient and he fails God. But then in part two of the story, he turns a bit of a corner. His, his heart turns toward God in a way. Uh, and, and in part two, he's obedient. He ends up going to Nineveh, preaching to the people. But mark this, at the end of the book, he still fails. His preaching doesn't fail, mind you. The people in Nineveh, they hear of God, and, and they turn their hearts toward him. But Jonah fails nonetheless. Even though he's obedient, he fails to love the people to whom he's sent. He follows the letter of God's command, but he misses the heart of it. And so when we look at Jonah uh, to teach us something about joining God's mission in the world, we see this. We see that Jonah isn't the model to live up to. Right? When, when we read the book of Jonah, it's not like we're reading uh, some self-help book on, on being a good missionary in the world, <laughs> in our city. It's not like reading the seven habits of highly effective prophets. Jonah doesn't read like that. It's not like reading from good to great missionary edition. The book of Jonah doesn't read like that. Jonah isn't, uh, the, the Jonah way isn't the model for success in joining God's mission in our city and in our world. 
And so the question is, why turn to this book? Why look to Jonah to lead us in our Christian mission? Well, it's because in Jonah's story, I see a hope-filled invitation for people like me and people like you. In Jonah, we see that God extends his salvation to the world through flawed people, through failures and freaks, through the unimpressive and the unlikely, through people like me and people like you. You see, Jonah's story isn't told like the stories of, of, of the successful great missionaries and evangelists of our recent history. Like the inspiring faith of Hudson Taylor, who, who brought thousands to Christ in China. Or Amy Semple McPherson, who brought thousands to Christ here in Canada. Or Billy Graham, who brought millions to Christ throughout the entire world. Jonah's story isn't told like the other stories. His story is, is much closer to ours, less glamorous, less successful more true to who we really are. And for me, that's where the hope lies. When it comes to joining God's mission, you don't have big shoes to fill. You simply need to put on your own and walk with God. Will you turn with me to Jonah chapter 1 as we begin our journey in this book and if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Jonah is about three-quarters of the way through. Uh, there's a pew Bible in front of you, or you can type it in uh, into your phone, into your device, and you can find Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. Jonah 1, verses 1 to 10. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, you have a living word for us today. And so we pray by your spirit that you would move me out of the way and give all of us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit says to his church, to your church. And so we pray you lead us afresh this morning into your very heart for us and for our city. We pray your blessing on these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jonah's story begins with God's word coming to Jonah. And God says, go to the great city of Nineveh in verse 1, verse 1 and 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was the capital of not not simply the region of Assyria, but at the time it was the capital of the the nation of Syria. Uh, it It was a superpower of Jonah's day. They were an empire. And virtually everything about the empire opposed God and promoted the self. And we see this embodied in in one of their kings. Uh, For instance, King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he called himself, now get this, he called himself the great I am. The great I am, it's the same name that, that God, that Yahweh gave to himself way back in Exodus chapter 3. This king, this pseudo-great I am, had the goal of conquering the entire world by force to be king of the entire cosmos. In this self-aggrandized mission, the Assyrians of, uh, of trying to conquer the world, they were cruel and violent in their program of world domination. Nineveh was the center of a world power that answered to no one. They took what they wanted by force, They ruled by force, and they made no apologies for it. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, this isn't the first time that that Nineveh's wickedness has come up before God. Because some years before, there were prophecies floating around given to God's people that the ancient Assyrian, or that the Assyrian Empire would one day be overturned because of their wickedness. In fact, God's people, and Jonah being one of them, they anxiously waited for this prophecy to come true. They eagerly awaited for Assyria's demise because Nineveh, And the Assyrians, they were an oppressive force. They were a constant threat of violence in the region where God's people were were trying to live. And they were also an insult to the living God, the great I Am. And so Jonah and God's people, they waited for the demise of Nineveh and the Assyrians. I mean, that's what God does, right? He slays the wicked and blesses the faithful. He strikes down the pagan and elevates the godly. That's what he does, right? That's what Jonah was waiting for when God says to him, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh and preach to the people of the great city. And the question that arose for Jonah most certainly was why? 
Why would God ask him to go to Nineveh? The text tells us it's because of of Nineveh's wickedness. God wants to do something about their wickedness, but what? What does God want to do about their wickedness? Does he want to punish them for it? Or to save them from it? And Jonah knows the answer. He knows it full well. He knows the answer because here's the thing. When God sends a prophet, whenever God sends a prophet, he has every intention to help the people who have lost their way. Prophets were people who called others back to the very heart of God. Every single prophet who came before Jonah did that very thing. They were sent by God to God's people in order to call them back to God. Every prophet, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Joel, Obadiah, all of them. But notice here, Jonah isn't sent to God's people. He's the only prophet that I can think of in my mind in all of the Bible that isn't sent directly to one of God's people. He's the prophet that's sent beyond the walls, so to speak. Sent by God to the enemies of God in order to call them into the heart of God. You see, Jonah knew precisely what was being asked of him. He was being sent into the lion's den in order to save the lion. Not to slay him, but to save him. To rescue, not to condemn. And it's no wonder he didn't want to go. I mean, if the wicked turn their hearts to God, what happens then? Will they be forgiven? If the evil turn to God, what happens to justice? Will they literally get away with murder? To be sure, God's call to Nineveh, it radically messed with Jonah's idea of of who God was. It radically messed with his sense of who God was. And there are two things that that I want you to see this morning that we see about God in in his calling to Jonah to go to Nineveh. Two things we see about God. First, we see that God is committed to justice. God himself, in his very being, he is just. God isn't willing to to let Nineveh's evil run amok. Wickedness must be confronted because It's destructive in nature. It hurts other people. It hurts the self. God isn't willing to let wicked people have the final word in the good world that he has made. I mean, if he did, he wouldn't be much of a God, would he? And so he sends people. He sends people like Jonah to to confront evil, to hold wickedness to account. Mark this, church, one day every person will stand before God and give an account of their life because God is just. So he sends Jonah to confront, to call out, to warn on account of Nineveh's actions. The text says it this way, to preach against her. Isn't that what love does? 
It doesn't stand idly by while people wander down a destructive path that causes harm to themselves and to other people. Love intervenes. God is just, and he will see that justice is done. But the second thing we see about God is his mercy. Jonah is sent to Nineveh because God is committed to the people who live in that city. He loves them. He's not willing to leave them to walk off the cliff of destruction. God speaks against wickedness because he doesn't want anyone to perish under its curse, not in this life and not in the life to come. This is God's mercy. God is merciful. And so Jonah is sent to Nineveh because God is both just and merciful. But here's the deep human problem that Jonah wrestled with when it came to his enemy, the Ninevites. He only wanted God's justice. He only wanted the guilty to be punished for their crime. He didn't want God's mercy. And don't we do that to the other? We're a little more patient with ourselves. For with ourselves, we want both God's justice and his mercy. Well, we actually just want his mercy. <laughs> But in God's justice, we know we need his mercy. But when it comes to the other, we don't we care very little for God's mercy. Jonah wanted Nineveh to pay. And we do that, don't we? When it comes to those who've hurt us, we want a God who will confront their evil with punishment, not his restorative grace. And we all know Jonah's impulse at this point in the story. We've all felt it. When God says go, instead of booking a camel across the desert to Nineveh, he books a ship across the sea to Tarshish. It's in the complete opposite direction. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Why does Jonah run in the opposite direction? The complete opposite direction. Why does Jonah run? I think it's for two reasons. First, Jonah runs because he doesn't like the God he is being confronted by. I think that's the first and the biggest reason he runs. He's running because he doesn't like the God who is speaking to him. A God who would ask something so difficult of him, something so dangerous for him to step into. He doesn't like a God who would show mercy to his enemies. Jonah didn't want the God he was faced with because he preferred a God of his own making. One that would prioritize his own interests. A God who would bless him and, and ask very little of him in return. Does this sound familiar? We all want that kind of God. We all want him to some degree. Like, like Jonah, we, we'd prefer a God who, who lets us set sail to Tarshish. It's fun to say. Maybe we should all say it together. Tarshish. Tarshish was a port in Spain. 
And in Jonah's day, it was considered this this paradise, a, a distant paradise, an exotic destination that one could go to. We read about it in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 22, where we hear about Solomon's fleet of ships. And, 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 and those ships would bring back untold treasures of gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks of all things, all from Tarshish. It was an exotic destination. To Jonah, Tarshish represented a land of possibility and, and prosperity, a land of blessing, a land to live your dreams in, a world of his own making. But God calls us to Nineveh, not Tarshish. God calls us to a life of following his word, not following our own design and desire. He asks for obedience over indulgence or service over self. And so Jonah runs. The text is careful to tell us that that Jonah is running from the Lord. We see it three times in in the ten verses I read. Twice in verse 3, we're told Jonah is running from the Lord. He's running from the Lord. And then once in verse 10, when when the sailors are saying, what is going on here? Uh, Because obviously in that verse, Jonah had told them he was running from the Lord. Jonah is running from God's presence. Jonah would rather live in delusion with a God of his own making than in reality with the God who would ask him to do something difficult. In church, we have the same sickness. Every one of us has the same sickness. We prefer the kind of God who just wants us to be happy and ask very little in return other than to be kind to the people we meet. It's the kind of God we want. We want that God. Not the God who calls us to obedience. Not the God who calls us into danger's path. Not the God who calls us uh, and says that he has a claim on our lives. And so we run from the God we don't like. The only God there really is. And we set passage for Tarshish. A world of our own making. And look, I see this in my own life at times. And I see it in other people's lives. And sometimes this is what it looks like. It begins here in in church on a Sunday morning. And and in here, we we want the God that we meet in here, in in the sanctuary. We want to be in his presence. We come for the presence of the living God. And by his spirit, through the cross and through the music and the prayer and the preaching, through the communion, through all of these things, we encounter the presence of the living God. On Sunday morning, we we come with open and willing hearts, and he fills us with his blessing and his presence and his love. We don't run from God in the sanctuary. We actually run to him. But here's the thing, church. In here, it's all blessing. In here, God hasn't asked much of us except an open heart into which he can pour his spirit. But when we walk out the doors, God asks something from us to surrender our entire life to him. God commands something from us when we walk through those doors, to be obedient to his good and perfect ways. We don't like those words. 
surrender, obedience. They feel heavy, but they're not. Their freedom, their true freedom. Out there, we are confronted by a part of God that we would happily trade in for something a little more palatable, right? Out there, you're called by the Almighty One to do all manner of things that, that you would rather not be pressured to do. Because God says to us, out there, turn the other cheek. Out there, God says, love your enemies. Out there, God says, forgive. Out there, he says, turn your eyes from evil things on screens and devices alike. Out there, he says, keep the marriage bed pure. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, be honest, act with integrity. He says, follow my way with sex and money and power and privilege. Out there, God says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The true God calls us to surrender and obedience. And quite frankly, quite honestly, we prefer that he wouldn't. We just prefer that he wouldn't. And so when we walk out the doors, we, we so often set passage for Tarshish. We want a God of our own making, one, one who only cares about our happiness and not all those inconvenient steps of obedience. We want idols that we can control. We want gods who serve us. It's our fallen human sickness. And I wonder, do you see it in your own life? All week I've had to face that question of Jesus asking me, Keith, where are these things in your life? And Jonah runs from God because he doesn't like the God who's really there. But there's another reason Jonah runs. He runs because he doesn't like the people that God's called him to. We're going to hear a lot more about this, but, but Jonah runs uh, in, in, in the following weeks. But Jonah runs because he doesn't like the Ninevites. He's judgmental and self-righteous. He doesn't think they're worth saving. I did warn you at the beginning that he is the worst prophet missionary. Before we dismiss Jonah, we have to consider that we suffer from the same sickness that he does, the sickness of self-righteousness, the sickness that makes us think that we're better than other people. And here's the thing. This sickness is not easy to see in ourselves. We can't diagnose it in ourselves. We all suffer from the sickness of self-righteousness. And here's how elusive it can be. We see it in the religious, right? The religious who look down their noses at the irreligious is self-righteousness. But it works the other way as well. For the irreligious can look down their noses at the religious and say to them, look, you're living in the dark ages. If you were enlightened like me, you wouldn't believe those things. It's self-righteousness. We see it in the rich who look down their noses at the poor and make judgments about their decision-making in life. But it works the other way around, too. The poor look down their noses at the rich and make judgments about their character, 
their lack of charity, their snobbery. We see it in the educated who look down their noses at the uneducated. And in turn, the uneducated look down their noses at the elitists with their fancy words and pompous degrees. We see it in the prejudices that we carry, in the racism that permeates our lives and our culture. The point is, we all suffer from the same sickness of self-righteousness. Thinking that we're somehow better, somehow more entitled, more acceptable to God than someone else who is different than us. And it's a sickness. But here's the thing we cannot miss. Here is Jonah's critical flaw. To be sure, it's ours as well. Jonah failed to see this important fact. He failed to see that the soil of Nineveh that he despised so much was planted in his own heart as well. He failed to see that he was just like the people God was sending him to rescue. He was no better and he was no worse. Both Jonah and Nineveh were turned away from God, both of them. Both of them were living with idols. They were following gods of their own making. Both of them live with a heart bent towards opposing and controlling the other. They were both sinners in need of a Savior. And so are you. So am I. Mark this church. In order for God to save Nineveh, he'd first need to save Jonah. And in order for God to have a mission in our city, he first needs to save us. In Jonah's case, God needed to save him from his sinful self-delusions. So God chases after this runaway believer by sending a storm to drown him in a sea of God's grace and then raise him up to new life above the waves. And we're going to hear more of that story next week. But I want you to see, church, that this is how God's mission moves through the world. It moves through the world through sinners who have been saved by the grace of God. Through people who see Nineveh's sickness and Jonah's sickness in themselves, and having seen, they turn and return to the only God there is, the one who is merciful and just, the one who doesn't want anyone to run off the cliff of destruction. In church today in this moment, maybe unlike Jonah's story where God sends a storm and a fish to rescue him. In this moment today, God hasn't sent a storm and a fish to bring you back to himself. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's rescue from our sin of pride and self-righteousness. He is the rescue from all of our rebellion and our brokenness. And today, the first step the very first step in joining God's redemptive mission in the world is simply to receive the grace that we desperately need. The first step is to let Jesus rescue you, to look inside yourself with honesty and to see Nineveh, to see Jonah, to see your own sin. 
You've been running from God. Running to Tarshish. You've been living for yourself. So have I. But Jesus is here. Even in this moment. By his Holy Spirit, Jesus is here. To wash over our sin. To forgive us and make us whole. And to make something of our lives for his glory. And the question is, will you stop running? Will you turn around? Will you let God be God in your life once again? I've invited the worship team to finish the sermon for me. And so, worship team, why don't you come up? And they're going to play a song over us. And, and typically, after the preaching of the word, we, we, we have a response song where we sing. But I want the words of this song to be the meditation of your heart as Jesus brings this message to a close. And so the worship team is going to play over you. And so I invite you to lean in with the lyrics, to bring your heart before God, to be honest with him about your own Nineveh and your own Jonah sickness. And to receive the grace of the God who loves you beyond measure. Because his words are life. And his way is life everlasting. Let's tune our hearts to these words as Jesus continues to preach through his Holy Spirit.
turning toward you. Yes, the Lord is turning toward you. Jesus, we uh, we come to you and we we just want to be honest before the God that is really there. <laughs> and we say, Lord, we, we, we want our lives to matter for something. But Lord, we, we confess that maybe there are some things that you need to make right in our life. Our stories like Jonah. And so I pray, Jesus, even in this moment, that as we bring our stuff before you, that you'd bring your forgiveness. And that Jesus, as you do, that you'd bring us freedom. Freedom to, to be obedient. <laughs> what a paradox. Freedom to walk in your ways. Freedom to live the life that you've designed. And that Jesus, as we do, as you release us, as you free us, as you, as you bless us, may we be a blessing to the people beyond these walls. And so Jesus, we, we pray that over these next few weeks as we, as we open our hearts maybe in a, a different way, a new way to the book of Jonah, that your living word would do what it has done for centuries in the hearts and minds of people who are open and willing. That your gospel would take root and it would produce fruit for your glory and for the blessing of people whom you love. And so we commit ourselves to you, Jesus. And we thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We'll follow you anywhere. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.